Good morning, one and all. I'm Constance Vary Newman, a senior fellow of the Africa Center of the Atlantic Council. On behalf of the Atlantic Council's chairman, Governor John Huntsman, its president, Fred Kemp, and Dr. Peter Pham, who is the director of the Africa Center, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome you. Particularly, it is my great honor to introduce His Excellency at the President of the Republic of Benin, the Honorable Dana J. Hyde, the Chief Executive Officer of the Millennium Challenge Corporation, and the moderator, Aubrey Ruby, Senior Fellow, Africa Center of the Atlantic Council. We're pleased that all of you can be here at the Atlantic Council to hear and participate in the conversation about the progress and prospects for growth in Benin in the next chapter of the country's history. Before turning things over to today's speaker, let me just make a few remarks about the Atlantic Council. We were asked by the president earlier Tell me something about the Council, so I'm going to tell you again and then tell the larger audience. The Atlantic Center, the Africa Center of the Atlantic Council, was established in September of 2009 with a mission to help transform United States and European policy approaches to Africa by emphasizing and building of strong geopolitical partnerships with African states and strengthening economic growth and prosperity on the continent. The center seeks to engage and inform both policymakers and the general public of the strategic importance of Africa, both globally and for American and European interests in particular, through programs, publications, as well as robust media presence. Within the context of the Atlantic Council's work to promote constructive U.S. leadership and engagement in international affairs on the central role of the Atlantic community in meeting the international challenges, the Center supports and collaborates with the public and private sectors in forging political solutions to challenges and opportunities in Africa. So it's within the spirit of that mandate that I am pleased that we are able to host this particular event. Uh, Your Excellency, uh, now my great honor to ask you to come to the podium. Oh, I was supposed to tell you uh, the uh, channel, French on nine, English on 10. <laughs> Un petit coup sur le micro, ça fait toujours du bien. I'll be fine. Yeah, I'll be fine. Je voudrais. Je vais te. I would like to go in principe. 
better for me. <laughs> Please. Madam Secretary, uh, you need no introduction. Um, Madam Ms. Hyde, CEO of MCC, and all representatives, uh, the representatives at the Bretton Woods uh, uh, institutions and advisors, on behalf of my country and this uh, subregion and all colleagues of the continent, I would like to thank you. You have described the Atlantic Council to us. I believe that it exists for it has existed for more than 50 years, and it's not the first time that I am I come here. You are concerned with uh, the future of our planet, truth be told. And I want to tell you how my country can contribute to the future of our planet as we make progress towards a political and democratic stability, progress towards security and prosperity. It's 10 years now that I have had the privilege of benefiting from the trust of the people of Benin, and I thank them for this. I'm grateful for their respect. And dear friends, we are here in the framework of the second compact with MCC, and we can discuss that. A second compact that we have earned, because it was a long road. As I am here in Washington, where the, the city of the White House, I was delighted that the um, compact of uh, for the MCC was signed at the White House in uh, the Indian Treaty Room, uh, a historic room where many other treaties were signed. And so I would thank, like to thank my dear friend, President Barack Obama, who is a great president of the United States. And thank also my dear friend Joe Biden, the vice president, who had a busy agenda, but took the, the time to co-chair this uh, ceremony, which was great for Benin, but uh, the, the subcontinent and the region as a whole as well. I have to tell you that God himself is a Democrat. God is a Democrat. Why? Well, democracy is no longer something that needs to be negotiated. Since there is an environment that allows everyone to speak themselves, to express themselves, he gave us, gave, God gave us our imagination, and God does not like violence. God loves his um, creatures, he's, he's good, he wants a world of peace in this world that he created. This is why I say it's in the Bible, it's in the Quran. That uh, and I, because I'm in favor of a um, interfaith. interfaith dialogue, but God is a Democrat, and He's in favor of a world of peace, a world of stability, of security, because such a world 
needs to use democracy to um, solve its issues in order to progress towards shared prosperity. My country, Benin, has had this experience for quite some years. I came here briefly in 2006, and I said this yesterday as well, that the winds of democracy are blowing in my country. It's the choice of the people of Benin as a whole. I might be wrong. There have been many debates, but it's through debates that we find the truth. And we need a democracy that can guarantee stability, peace, security, prosperity. And I'm convinced of this. The choice made by the people, not the choice of a minority, because the minorities need to work hand in hand with the people. So we need uh, a democracy based on three pillars. It's institutions, strong institutions, very strong institutions, each one of it, each one autonomous, but that work towards the common goal, that is to say, the general interest. That's basic. I'm thinking about the uh, constitutional institutions in my country. I'm thinking about justice. Uh, I'm thinking about the administration. I'm also thinking about civil society, the private market, etc. And to be brief, you cannot conceive a democratic future without a rule of law, and you have no rule rule of law without uh, a solid justice system. If you do not have a solid justice system, you don't have a rule of law. And without that, you cannot solve issues of impunity, and you cannot put an end to corruption. And you, you cannot have a results-based culture, uh, an accountability culture, a transparency culture. The so the, fu the fundamental pillar in the rule of law is justice. Justice will build Africa. That's based on my 10 years of experience. The second pillar is freedom. Freedom of speech in my country today, it is true. We have this freedom of speech. No political prisoners, no opinion prisoners, nothing like that. We have 60 newspapers that, that express themselves freely. Um, so each one should be each one wants to talk about the president uh, because that's how they sell papers so everywhere they are they are discussing me in the press but this is the situation in my country and i am convinced that this is the case of, of other countries in the continent as well and freedom as well to create wealth, to invest. And this freedom is based on security. Security is an attribute of democracy. Dear friends, without security, well, you have no real democracy. You have a democracy void of content. So this leads me to think about the challenges uh, for my country, the sub-region, and the world. Terrorism, international terrorism, and other scourges. 
And so we need a coalition of the powers, the United States, France, Germany, and we are in agreement with these powers. We need to put an end to international terrorism. And we talk. And when we talk about international terrorism, what happens in Benin, in Nigeria, Boko Haram, the Boko Haram uh, phenomenon, dear friends, we need to find a solution to it. Otherwise, we will have no true democracy. We won't be able to promote democracy. The third pillar is youth employment. Youth is a component of our people. They are the future. And this youth needs to, to find jobs, wealth-creating activities to lead to shared prosperity. If we cannot solve the problem of unemployment, it's true for Benin, but it's true for all democracies, that is a time bomb for democracy if you don't solve unemployment. So to give work to these uh, young people, the third pillar is energy infrastructures. The the road, uh, port, airport, uh, networks, uh, connections, telecommunications, connections, so that a continent such as ours, Africa, its countries be linked together, the peoples be linked together, the economies linked uh, together, and our governments linked together. This creates economies of scale, which allows for the young people to find jobs and to create wealth to ensure that Africa can be a partner for global growth. But I, I mentioned energy amongst these, en these infrastructure. All of these infrastructure are important, but this is why I tip my hat to the choice made by the MCC. Madam CEO, thanks again to have, uh, for having chosen in my country the issue of energy for the second compact. We will come back to this in the discussions, I'm sure. To um, We might discuss why we are betting on energy. But this is what I wanted to say as an introduction and say that most of our countries share the values of the free world. And together, hand in hand, we need to create a world of peace, stability, security, and prosperity. A world where we bolster governance, which uh, is based on an international partnership to meet the various challenges that we can discuss during our debate. But, but one of them is the issue of climate change. Dear friends, the situation is serious. And to meet the problem of food security, We need to put in common our efforts, our resources, our thoughts, our skills in order to be able to meet this challenge on climate change, which is why I'm delighted of President Obama's initiative on green power. And I also, I'm in, I'm 
uh, tip my hat to President Francois Hollande, who commits himself with the people, the French people, to host the 21st uh, Conference of Parties. And I would like to conclude by saying that Benin will work to ensure that the whole African continent, which does not pollute, but is subjected to the effects of uh, climate change, those who pollute are waiting to find solutions. Well, that's what we are noting through all the conferences. We're now at the 21st Conference of Parties. I, w I won't go back over the history of this. But we need to have a successful conference in Paris. It needs to be legally binding an agreement, whether it's a treaty or something else, with the support of the UN, because this is a responsibility for all of humanity. We need to, uh, humanity is ailing today. Rain comes when we least expect it, and when it comes, it's insufficient. It leads to uh, flooding, and in a coastal uh, country such as mine, we have erosion along the coastline. We have no technology to to uh, repel the to pu push back the sea. The sea is pushing us back. The 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 roads, the houses are falling, crumbling into the ocean. Uh, so this is the challenge um, we have to meet. And I want to put an end here to my introduction and say that I am available to answer your questions and share with you the experience of Benin and how we have worked with MCC and what we invest in the second compact and how, to me, here in Washington, I'm telling the people of Benin that the future is promising. We should be hopeful for Benin, but also for the sub-region as a whole, for the continent and for the world. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Your Excellency. As, uh, as we say here, you're a very tough act to follow. Um, but I will, I will do my best, given the, the tour of um, compelling issues around the continent that you previewed, from climate change to security, uh, and to what is at the heart of MCC's work, which is economic growth and stability and jobs and youth unemployment. So first, let me start by saying how grateful I am to be here this morning at the council. Um, grateful to our hosts, grateful to the ministers, to your excellency, um, and that we have had a wonderful last 36 hours. As many of you know, and as the president alluded to, we signed yesterday the second compact uh, with Vice President Biden in the Indian Treaty Room at the White House. That deserves an applause. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, so the second compact is situated uh, squarely in the space of the energy sector. 
Uh, it is $375 million uh, of a commitment um, to produce power and access for the people of Benin. And none of it would have been possible without the leadership of President Nyai. So I want to thank you for that. Um, as you know, the lack of access to power is one of the most intractable impediments to growth in Benin's economy today. Like much of Sub-Saharan Africa, only one-third of the population have access to power, and there are frequent outages for those that do. And for every hour without power, there is no water for four hours. So without power, vaccines spoil, students cannot study, uh, and mothers uh, spend time and money searching for alternatives as well as hospitals and the rest of the functioning of society. So the compact that MCC has uh, signed just yesterday with Benin takes a comprehensive approach to develop a sustainable power sector in Benin. And I would say this is um, typical of many of what are the second generation compacts for MCC. So as many of you know, MCC was founded just 10 years ago. Uh, we have graduated many of the first generation compacts. And the second generation compacts are often focused in a single sector and energy is increasingly a focus of our work. The Benin Compact will invest in expanding Benin's generation capacity with a particular focus on solar energy. And then it will invest in getting that power to more people through a distribution network and off-grid electrification. Finally and importantly, the compact will invest in the policies and the institutions that are needed to bring both of those pieces together. And I hope we'll have an opportunity to discuss that in our conversation here today. This compact aims to generate up to 78 megawatts of electricity, so more than half of that will come from renewable sources. Uh, and it represents MCC's largest investment to date in solar power. It also represents the US government's largest investment to date in off-grid electrification. So now we know that generation is only the first step because millions of people aren't connected and that the off-grid element, which we'll speak of more, is a really important piece of this. The policy piece, which MCC worked on, and I would focus here on our work in Ghana as well, um, is oriented around putting in place uh, some key components. For those, that would be an independent regulator, making sure that the tariff uh, structure is cost-reflective and sustainable, um, as well as focusing much on the utility and strengthening the utility as well. So those are the key components of what we're doing there. Um, I have just had the experience of returning from the AGOA Forum in uh, Gabon, and many of you were there in those conversations. What the president alluded to, and I think what was striking about that, uh, was the focus on regional integration. And I hope we'll have a chance to talk about that as well. Um, because in terms of building markets, economic potential for the continent, uh, much of the conversation in Libreville, in Gabon, was around how do we promote infrastructure around regional integration. 
So that is an area that MCC is very much looking to get into as we move into the second de uh, decade of the program. And I think it's one of the most encouraging pieces of the conversation that's happening today. So uh, my message to all of us is to get started. We talked with the team yesterday about uh, all that we have left to do. Um, and I know that we are share your optimism, your sense of hope about what we can achieve in Benin, and the sense of urgency about the importance of the work that we'll be doing there. Thank you very much. I'd like to invite you to the stage. Switch. Switch. We'll do okay, switch. we'll do this way. <laughs> Please. Well, thank you everyone for coming uh, this morning. Uh, it's an exciting conversation uh, following mm -hmm. a great day yesterday for um, the US and Benin. Uh, my name is Aubrey Ruby, and I'm uh, pleased to be moderating this discussion today. And I wanted to draw upon some things I heard in both the remarks given by um, the president and, uh, and Dana. One of which is, you know, this is uh, Benin's second compact. Mm. And Excellency, I'd love to get your views on what it's been like to work with MCC over the course of these two compacts, which also coincided well to your two terms in, in office. And you have what lessons other countries can learn from your experience on working with MCC and building closer relations with uh, the US government in particular? OK, I have Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Dear sister, moderator, I do believe that this is a very important question. Above all, you must share. I think that is very important, if I'm not mistaken. So very briefly, I will not uh, take too much of your time. Thank you for coming. Uh, Chairman Hyde reminded us of the location. That was very important for me, for a country uh, such as mine, Bena. This was a ceremony which took place with great emotion. If I had not uh, contained myself, I would have started to cry. Why this location, the White House, the room, this uh, room which uh, witnessed the signing of all the treaties that affected the entire world? I won't go into details. But what consideration, what love, what friendship. Thank you very much to the American people. And I was honored as uh, as you said, I was honored to have the second compact. I must admit, occurs after the first one, and I was honored to experience the first one. I would like to congratulate President Mathieu Kirikou because it was his team which signed in February 2006 the first uh, compact. Uh, I said 2016, no, but that's the future. That's when I'll no longer be president in Benin. But 
We'll get there. We'll get there. 2006, 2006 it was, because uh, because those who don't know it, in 2016, I'll have the humble opportunity to thank the people of Benin to tell them, well, here it is after 10 years of uh, office and uh, in compliance with the provisions of our Constitution, well, our fundamental law, well, quite humbly, I would like to thank them, and I will leave, I will step down from power while making myself available to my country, to the sub-region, to the continent, and to the entire world, because the fight against poverty will continue, and uh, I will await for the see where God, all-powerful, will uh, sign me to go, but uh, it's the people in their heart who uh, showed me this trust for 10 years, and that's not easy. So I had the honor, the privilege in 2006 to uh, be part of the implementation of the first compact. Well, the second compact, I like this term very much, here we're talking about the second generation. So how did we work? Number one, the decision-making process, the MCA Benin, which was directed, linked to the presidency. And I believe that, uh, and this was in contact with MCC teams which lived in Cotonou. So they experienced our working method and we worked together and the president works together with the local team. And we had reforms that were identified for the first uh, compact and they were very well targeted. We really had to pinpoint so the t learning process, the teaching process was a success. What were the first words to pinpoint the issues of peace, stability, security, and of course, for example, establish the basis for prosperity. So for example, the port. We had to ensure economic integration. We had to connect Bena with the region. So with the people of Niger and Burkina Faso, which are hardworking. And we had to connect with Northern Niger. So the people were hardworking. And we have to have this integrational effect of the port. And now, which represents 60% of our GDP. So after the implementation of this first Compact, we had reached our cruising speed, and over the last three years, we had a growth rate of over 6%. So we have better than the rest of the world, better than the rest of Africa, and in terms of means, we did better than the average of ECOWAS, and even better than the average of the UMOA region. So this impact did create wealth, it, and that was because of the port. The port in and of itself became an instrument designed for 5 million tons. Uh, do, and But thanks to the compact, we have reached about 10 million tons. And year in, year out, uh, there's growth of over 10%, whereas before the compact, uh, actually, the growth was going backwards. So we have targeted the port. That was a good thing to do, which uh, made us to say that in Libreville, the officials from the port of Lagos said that they congratulated Benin 
which, thanks to the compact, was able to transform completely the, the situation of interregional trade, thanks to this Cotonou port. The second target, the justice system, as I just said, justice, capacity building, we need to solve the issues of morality and ethics. We need to have a justice system that is worthwhile. And the compact provided us some added value in terms of the capacity building of a justice system to allow the justice system to com suitably sustain this uh, democracy, which we all wish for. And then the land reform. Everybody must have access to land in order to produce. And we also had the decisional process, which also helped in that uh, regard. And finally, we needed a supervisory framework, which was strengthened, and also microfinancing for the poorest of the poor. So the compact was able to target poor people. So I think that if we take the stock of the record, if we look at the record of the first compact at its record, it prepared us well, and we did draw the lessons. Well, the lessons, here they are. N number one, the performance indicators, uh, uh, dear moderator, where we had problems, where we had stumbled, and I think this is, it's something positive came out of that, it was the issue of corruption, because we could have signed at the same time as Ghana. Uh, uh, we could have signed at the same time as Cape Verde, but we were in, in third position for a second compact. But. Uh, given that the corruption indicator was a critical determinant. So, dear friends, I must tell you that I'm going to tell you a little secret. When the MCC team learned that Bina had been suspended from eligibility, well, forgive me, please forgive me, uh, team members, it was with great sadness and regrets. Many were basically sh crying, shedding tears. How uh, We had to inform you, Mr. President, what happened. I tried to figure out myself, uh, where did they compile these indicators? I'm not saying that there is no corruption. That's not what I said, uh, dear friends. The fight against corruption is a journey. You never reach a destination. No country in this world has ever said that it succeeded to its de destination. But uh, as a poor country, we must move quicker to put an end to poverty. So we learned that Bina indeed had been pushed back temporarily. So I believe I spent some sleepless nights alongside with my people. We had to implement a program, a reforms program, to fight against corruption. And we did it. I won't go into the details of it, but uh, we talked about in cabinet meetings. We, uh, we worked together. I'm not saying that this collection no longer exists, but we will succeed. We will get there. So this allowed us to reachieve this eligibility in 2012, upon which time we were told by the MCC the decision was made. I believe that somewhat later we were declared by the team 
And this is an opportunity to thank them and also to thank the American government, its Congress, its Senate, and the entire MCC team. And this is an opportunity for us to tell you about our experience. That's how we worked together. The missions of the MCC team are frequent. They come frequently. We were patients whose health had to be monitored. Yes, yes, this, you were our doctors, the physicians who came to visit us. And at the same time, we were convinced that these uh, reforms had to be uh, uh, understood, internalized. We had to take ownership of them. This was absolutely mandatory. The port of Konutu was a market. Today, if you go there, you cannot see a single fly. No, you, that's not possible. And if anyone comes uh, there without being identified, He'll go to jail immediately and, of course, after being seen in court because the president do that. I tried to send the army. I tried to send the military. No, they were sent back. No, they said, no, you can't do that. Why are you sending the army for people who are wandering around? No, those were good. But today, I believe for the better, we are succeeding and we are ready absolutely for the implementation of the reforms that which we identified. And as uh, you mentioned, uh, Dana, as part of this uh, second generation compact, thank you, because as I said, we were in third position after Cape Verde, as you said, in Ghana. So I believe we have reasons to be proud of this. And I do believe that today, uh, our success, dear colleagues, uh, dear brethren countries who are working hard and who are struggling to truly achieve uh, this uh, stage, uh, well, MCC is a tool that fully matches the transformational needs at the social, economic, and political level of our countries. Thank you very much. and wonderful job of, dis of really elucidating how MCC works to encourage reforms yes, and, yes. Uh, and to support the reformers in any given government. And uh, the experience of going through the delay because of corruption issues really shows um, on how MCC you know, works to stimulate. Dana, maybe you could speak a little bit more on sure. how that is evolving over time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the people are in this room are familiar with the indicator process for mm -hmm. MCC mm -hmm. eligibility. Mm -hmm. But how does it work when it gets down into a sector? Yes. Uh, when you're looking at, for example, yes. this second compact yes. on energy, how do the reforms still play a critical role in, in this compact? Thank you. Um, and thank you, Your Excellency. I just want to commend you and your leadership again for, uh, as you spoke of, um, getting uh, personally engaged in uh, both performance on the indicators, uh, specifically around a correction plan in corruption, uh, as well as the leadership you've shown in shaping the second compact and the reforms that exist in the energy sector. Um, so, just to give a bit more context uh, for those of you who may not be as familiar with MCC, um, uh, it was founded on the principle of uh, governance uh, and fundamental tenets of rule of law, democracy, 
uh, being foundational uh, to economic growth. Uh, and the indicators on the scorecard are arranged to reflect those. Um, the indicators themselves are not US government indicators. They are third party indicators, for example, the World Bank, IFC, Transparency International, for example. And they are clustered in three groups. Uh, one relates to economic freedoms and economic progress. The second relates to governance, generally. Uh, and the third relates to the degree to which a country itself invests in its people, so the, the education rates, immunization rates, for example. Uh, and to pass the scorecard, uh, countries are actually compared against the cohort of uh, low-income countries against each other uh, across the globe. So Nepal to Niger, both as low-income countries, and then lower-middle-income countries as well, the only categories in which MCC works. Uh, and so to fulfill the scorecard, uh, a country will pass 10 indicators, being the upper 50th percentile, uh, and also pass the hard hurdles, what we call the must-dos around corruption and around democracy. Uh, so that has always been foundational to the MCC model. And what we've seen after a decade is uh, a couple of things. Uh, one is the degree to which countries uh, really strive uh, and follow and track adherence to those indicators um, and are doing so uh, on an annual basis are coming to us and are saying, how do we work with indicator institutions who may not have all the data? And uh, we have facilitated that engagement many times. Um, and this has been coined the MCC effect, which is uh, actually incentivizing countries to look at the, that panoply of, uh, of governance indicators uh, and uh, to, drive, uh, to drive and incentivize there. I think what we will see in, this, in the second decade of MCC is how do we look at that incentive system in the context of a specific sector in which we work. So I mentioned the energy sector here. Uh, and typically in second compacts, and I would say first, uh, as the President has alluded to, uh, and as Vice President Biden said yesterday, uh, second compacts is not automatic. Uh, there is no guarantee. Indeed, the board of MCC has set a higher standard to attain a second compact. And um, second compacts thus far have often been much more concentrated in a single sector. So it will be a five-year investment uh, on average, uh, around 350 million, this compact uh, with the contribution from Benin will be over $400 million. Um, and uh, we will look holistically at what are the impediments to investment in this sector so that it will drive not just MCC's investment, but other private investment as well. Uh, and what we're seeing increasingly is that uh, the infrastructure itself often needs to be upgraded, um, and that is something to focus on. But that the regulatory framework mm -hmm. around that infrastructure is really what is holding back deals. Yes. Um, and so there's a lot of private capital, as has been much discussed, and you well know, um, looking to come into energy sector in, co in company, in 
countries across the continent. Um, but because of some pretty core fundamental challenges, um, sometimes related to transparency, to procurement, to uh, uh, what's the framework for an IPP, um, that that money is waiting on the sidelines. And that's a theme we've heard time and again with Power Africa as well, Absolutely. that there's an effort in order to get these kind of uh, frameworks in place yes. around yes. power purchase agreements or IPP regulation yes. or making the utilities more um, you know, credit worthy. Yes. These are reforms are, are critical for driving investment and it seems that MCC in this compact is really living that yes. and actualizing that uh, realization. Yes, yes, yes. That is, a, that is a purposeful affirmative focus of what MCC is shaping. I would say that we have um, six compacts uh, in the pipeline. Uh, we're also shaping a compact in Tanzania. Uh, we're shaping a compact in Morocco, in Niger, in Liberia, um, and then uh, also outside of the continent as well. Um, but in each one of those, this is the approach that we're taking. That's fantastic. And, and I will follow up a question there because you've spoken of the uh, other compacts in the region. Mm -hmm. um, and both of you mentioned uh, regional integration and the need uh, for regional yes. integration. So Dana, I'd love to get your views on the potential for regional compacts, yes. especially with things that are cross-border, like energy can mm -hmm. be sent cross-border. Mm -hmm. um, and then Your Excellency, I know you've done a lot of work with your neighbors on security or even Nigeria on economic integration. Uh, maybe a couple thoughts you have on how an entity like MCC or even your own efforts uh, are bringing the, the countries closer together. Yes. So let's start with sure. Dana and then you. we'll turn to. To, to you. So, um, well, we know, first of all, that people, goods, and services don't stop at borders. Um, and that uh, the theory of the case around creating economies of scale uh, uh, to support markets uh, on the continent and growth is quite strong. And uh, MCC has thus far only worked on a bilateral basis. But if we look at our portfolio, over the decade, the portfolio has been invested 65% uh, on the continent, so roughly $6.5 billion. 70% of that has been invested in infrastructure. Um, so even if you look at some of the investments we've already undertaken in terms of roads and ports um, and border crossing infrastructure, as well as in agriculture, I would say, um, we see opportunities uh, to connect and cross borders and help bring markets together. This is true in Africa. It certainly is true in Central America, where we've worked. Um, so this past year, MCC, as part of the president's budget request, sought the authority from Congress to undertake regional compacts to be able to cross borders. Uh, and I think this is really an exciting opportunity for the program, again, as we look mm -hmm. to the next decade. Um, we do need the authority uh, to do it in the way that would optimize many of these investments. Um, and I've had wonderful conversations. Uh, there has been strong bipartisan support uh, on the Hill for this. Um, so we are hopeful uh, that this is something that we can do into the future. I would just also say that um, having just spent time, I was in Addis in July and Lieberville in August, um, 
the AU uh, ministers, the Africa ministers, are so focused on how to support infrastructure related to regional integration. Yes. So Excellency, we'd love to get your thoughts on regional efforts, in mm -hmm. particular where you see kind of the top three uh, important things for West Africa to focus on and how Benin is taking a role in those issues. Perhaps, uh, forgive me, I would like, first of all, to applaud the initiative. And uh, first of all, I would like to comment on uh, my sister Dana's intervention to tell you that, in fact, uh, we have reached the time, yes, indeed, of the second generation. Yes, indeed. At first, it was bilateral. And then, at least as far as my country is concerned, I forgot to tell you because I talked about the port. The port is already an instrument of regional integration, you see. So, so we already have the first thing. Yes, we have a port, but it was bilateral. This was a subsidy that was given to Benin, but in reality, I was going to say that our populations are fully integrated. For example, take Benin and Nigeria. You have about uh, 2,000 women who cross the border, who leave at 4 a.m. from Cotonou to go to Lagos. And here they convey merchandise that is sold at the port. And likewise, there are people who go to Niger from northern Nigeria. So I believe this is already the first generation which already uh, is uh, displaying uh, economic integration. And the second compact, which identifies, yes, indeed, uh, the energy sector, I saw already therein the capability in the second compact, the second generation compact, to bring together uh, countries from West Africa, because Benin is the headquarter uh, of the uh, West African power uh, group. So we have this sort of hub, a headquarters as part of ECOWAS, where practically the entire uh, production from the subregion will be centralized in Benin. And the surplus will be transferred to Togo, to Senegal, or to Burkina Faso, or to Mali, and so on. So the fact of already strengthening, as it were, the production capability of Gabini already works to strengthen integration. Having said this, I believe that when we came to take part in this summit last year between the US and Africa, we told our friend, President Barack Obama, how should I put this? Homo Africa, that the Power Africa initiative. This was a wonderful initiative which had been funded with $7 billion. And since he was very receptive, we told him this is a great initiative, but you have to expand it and you have to sustain it, but you have to provide it with a character of regional integration. And that's why we advocated during the debates that, for example, if you take Cotonou, 
Power Africa should be able to work to strengthen the West African power pole in Cotonou. So ultimately, I must tell you that uh, infrastructure, dear friends, uh, I forgot to tell you, when you talk about democracy, let's take a young man who is hungry. He's hungry. Well, I'll try to give him some slices of bread, bits of bread, so he can eat. But if I if I tell him to do X or Y, he will do it. He's no longer independent. He cannot take part in the democratic debate. If I tell him to vote for this or that person, he's no longer independent. So very quickly, we must work on capacity building from for the young people to create wealth, create jobs, promote jobs, hence the importance of infrastructure of a regional nature. We talked about power, energy, which is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. As I said yesterday, energy must be factored in the actual context, namely climate change. Yes, indeed, as part of the second compact, we have included renewable energy, solar energy. That's important. That is a major important because we are, we also have off-grid power, namely to have more lighting capability with less pollution and have lighting for government buildings, for hospitals, in order to assure human security. Having said this, I think, I believe we must emphasize on renewable energies as part of our uh, system, solar, wind, hydroelectric, and so on and so forth. And that will allow us to kill two birds with one stone and fight against the climate change. Of course, as part of a dimension of interconnectivity, which must connect together the states, the governments, the economies, and the populations. And at the same time, by way of the results, energy must uh, in, be brought to the households, Energy must be brought into kitchens, into courtrooms, into workshops, into uh, everywhere, artists, plumbers, hairdressers, masons. We need all of this in order to increase uh, production capabilities. And I believe that is the vision for the role of Benin. And, this is also the vision of the AU for 2063. How will we guarantee energy power to all citizens in such a way that we are interconnected in our scheme of economic diversification as part of the regional communities to ensure that by 2063, we will be able to do the main job. But in the meantime, we Africans have to have a program of development of infrastructure in Africa, and that requires huge amounts of resources. So now we have the issue of funding, of course. MCA plays its part, but we must work to emphasize 
uh, internal uh, resource uh, mobilization, internal fundraising to ensure this uh, economic integration, be it for uh, energy, road networks, ports, railways, telecommunications, communications, and so on. We need also to emphasize and also the cleaning up of the business climate. That is also part of the performance indicators where my country, it's true, has problems in terms of the fight against corruption because we want to invest private investments. That's important. So what we did, we said in 2014, Benin has to carry out reforms that have been proposed. And we gained 23 points in terms of doing business, uh, according to the World Bank's rating system. The fight against uh, corruption, Transparency International, we gained 14 points in 2014. And I said that this year, 2015, we must do even better. So uh, this contributes to the cleaning up of the business environment and the implementation of uh, PPIs, and that will be part of the second compact, and that will allow us to conduct investments in energy, roads, railways, ports, airports, communications, telecommunications. So the business climate is important. Dear friends, we need to be an example for the sub-region in terms of democracy building. So we need to set the right conditions for stability. Stability is fundamental for democracy to support peace, because without peace there will be no prosperity. So the issue of security is a, a main challenge not only for Benin, not only for the sub-region, not only for Africa, but globally. And I thank France, Germany, the United States, and all the other international powers that are part of the coalition that supports us. The issue of sub-regional security, and there is a link there. Without security, we will not be able to create wealth. What happened in Mali, uh, thank you to France, thank you to the United States, and thank you to the rest of the world. We are in solidarity with Mali, with the people of Mali, in, so, in solidarity with uh, the countries of the Sahel and Sahara, Chad, uh, all the countries that are victims of Boko Haram, uh, parts of Nigeria, Niger, Cameroon, Chad, etc. So we have to resolve these issues. And we have this uh, task force, this multinational task force that has been created, but it needs now to be um, supported by the UN Security Council. So we need to have access to the fiduciary fund in order to be able to strengthen the intervention capability of our troops. Benin so sent 800 soldiers to this uh, task force, but we need uh, technical support, financial support, we need intelligence, etc. 
we are willing and able, we have a single com international command, and I think we can overcome Boko Haram to set up the conditions of peace to allow the young people of our sub-region to produce. The other challenge that remains, dear friends, is the educational system, All, always in a sub-regional framework, professional training and education. It, to strengthen the capacity of our young people. Because otherwise, in the sub-region, we might have no artisans, no plumbers, no tailors, no, no one who is qualified in anything. And we have the issue of uh, sanitation. We need uh, regional hospitals, international clinics, we need regional institutions at this level. Look at the challenge that was Ebola, dear sister. We are in solidarity with the people of Guinea, Liberia, in solidarity with the people of Sierra Leone. But for that virus, where that virus was a real scourge, economic growth is negative. The national um, heritage was destroyed. Schools were closed. And I congratulate uh, those who fought, those who worked, the United States that worked together, hand in hand with those countries, Liberia and the others, to put an end. And I thank the scientists. But we need to incentivize research. Give us the means, dear friends so that research can con continue. President Obama uh, discussed this, and I agree with him. He's a, a humanist, and he needs to be supported. And Vice President Biden discussed this as well. We need to um, bolster research at a sub-regional level. And uh, Benin has a role to play. You have asked what Benin can do, has an important role to play hand in hand with the African uh, countries so that Africa can uh, speak of a single voice during the next uh, conference on climate change. For us, the 21st COP in Paris is the conference of the, is the last chance. The situation is dire. It is very serious on our continent. We don't produce climate change, we are subjected to it. The declarations of Copenhagen, Copenhagen, etc. Well, we need to now have legally binding instruments. And we need to reach that result. This is fundamental. Each country can make its own contribution. And each country should indicate their own capability to contain climate change. Well, Benin has nothing to decrease. We don't pollute. But we uh, are trying to have the appropriate adaptation technologies, the right financing, so that we can face this scourge which threatens the life of our whole planet. I'm sorry for having spoken uh, so long, but there are many challenges. And 
the second compact for us is the second generation compact which will be the engine to jumpstart democracy in my country. <laughs> That's why I wanted to help democracy. That's why I'm leaving. I'm leaving office. Um, as the second compact comes in. But it's not the second compact that's chasing me. I want to help the second compact uh, to succeed. And this is important because it contributes to peace. And we need to ask the political class in our various countries to be aware of that. That democracy needs to uh, cure, needs to feed, needs to clothe, needs to create jobs. That's true democracy. The expression of all the capabilities that God has given us. Because God is a true Democrat. It's abundantly clear, uh, His Excellency's passion for the region. If anyone knows his background, he's worked uh, as a banker in the region for many years and obviously plays a major role in, uh, in helping to promote West African security. Uh, Mr. President, I'm also glad you brought up the, uh, the renewable energy aspect of this compact because it is notable, for those of you who haven't followed it, um, the solar aspects, uh, one of the largest, uh, the largest MCC investment in solar is happening in Benin. Um, and so it brings me to the question of, and I'm going to ask one last question of Dana and the President before we turn to your questions. Mm -hmm. um, how do we, you know, the compacts are only successful if we can catalyze and mobilize additional yes. investment. Yes. And we're happy yes. to have one of the companies that have invested in Benin here, Combustion Associates. I see uh, that uh, their story is a success. And so yes. the question yes. is, how can um, the government of Benin, but also MCC, sure. work to uh, encourage investment? Yep. So if you give me your kind of top three sure. points on sure. how that's happening, and then we'll turn to his Excellency, to hear how the, the sure. government is trying to attract investment into energy in particular. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it is precisely the right question, and it is the question that my team is uh, pouring over every day. So uh, I'd say three, three components. First of all, um, MCC starts with economists doing a constraints of growth analysis. So there really is an evidence-based analytic framework around the idea of where, where we invest and what are the particular root causes of, uh, of the impediments. Um, and uh, that is what has led us really to what I've described today, which is the focus on the policy, the business environment, the regulatory environment, not in and of itself in tandem with um, hard infrastructure upgrades or building, um, but really how critical that is. The third piece that we hear constantly is that uh, about the paucity of funding uh, for diligence and the lack of bankable projects. Mm -hmm. um, and so MCC has recently created a platform, uh, which is unusual for MCC because uh, we um, ha have not put funds aside for this, but it is so universal um, in all of our countries where we work uh, that the pu public-private partnerships uh, are not coming together 
because of the, the lack of project preparation funding. Um, so we have a platform now that has been committed. It's at least $70 million. It may be more. Um, and uh, we are concentrating. Is that working with TDA as well? It or? is working with it is working with TDA, and we bring TDA in every time we okay. can. Um, sometimes uh, because of their uh, the ceiling limits or some of the mm -hmm. requirements there, that that is not a, a tool that can fit yep. uh, the problem. So MCC is focusing on project preparation fund focusing. Uh, in small increments relative to the overall investment, but with the very idea that that is funding that is solely committed to leveraging other private capital alongside our capital. Fantastic. And Mr. President, you had already mentioned the reforms to the business environment. That clearly helps to attract investment. You've, you've mentioned some investments in infrastructure, which also helps to attract investment. How, what other ways is the government working to reach out to international investors to encourage them to invest in, say, for example, the energy sector? Well, I don't want to bore you. I don't know if it's the last question. If it's not the last question, good, all the better, but We'll take some questions from the audience in a, in, a, in a minute. Everything, sister, is linked. So maybe I can come back to this during the conclusions. If I have, uh, can draw some conclusions in the end. I have already said that the issue of the business environment is essential. And the performance indicators identified this is why I love MCA, MCC, which compiled the, those indicators. First uh, and foremost was the fight against corruption, which is basic. We have a law, and I congratulate the parliament of my country, which approved this law and created an authority to fight corruption. And the government has also regulatory initiatives. So we have legal measures, and we also have regulatory measures. What remains to my mind, and I would like to say this here in Washington, is we need to make progress on sanctions. This is fundamental if we want to make progress, because with, uh, if we have too much cor corruption, we won't be able to attract uh, funding, public or private. And uh, Benin is at a crossroad. There will be a new incoming president, even if I have still a few months. It will be hard for everyone. The issue of the fight against corruption, the government must strengthen its uh, system of sanctions uh, as well as its administrative sanctions. This is essential. And we need a justice system. Because all of this is subordinated to decisions made by the legal system. So we need to strengthen our judiciary. We need to build capacities. We need to 
strengthen our ethics, have a less uh, politicized uh, justice system, to have a truly autonomous democratic uh, legal system. So we are determined to reach this goal, and this is important to our success, to forging ahead. Because it's humiliating to hear here and there of cases of corruption. We have worked on this, but it's hard to it, progress has been made, it's true. If you consider the per capita income in my country, in 2006 we were at $300 per capita. To th to th today we are at 1000 even though we were 5 million in 2006 and now we're 10 million, 10 or 11 million. So we have made progress. Benin, today, we have uh, ECOWAS that's working on the fight against uh, poverty. But Benin occupies the second position in terms of the rate of poverty, which means that we have made progress. This, despite our demographic growth, which is 3.5%, which is uh, high. So, we are the second least poor in our region. In, we don't sell any oil, we have no mining resources, but we uh, need to better use our resources. So there is always the problem of corruption, but uh, a will has been shown to make progress, but this needs to be collective, because when we talk about corruption, dear friends, it's not the president alone. And nobody has, uh, will ever be able to prove that I am corrupt because I am not. But in my country, open government, I went in 2006, I said the best way for a government to be to ensure transparent transparency, if I have a minister which does something wrong, well, I gather the ministerial council, and immediately he is replaced. And I've had to do this, and I've said to the to the minister, "Go explain yourself in front of the court of justice, the supreme institution, which has oversight over the decision makers, the, the president and the ministers." But this institution, unfortunately, unfortunately, needs to be. Uh, modernized, it has no, it has no real results yet. So we have political uh, reforms to implement, which requires a national consensus. So I am directing myself to the political powers that be. We will reach this goal. It's important. We need to be able to be able to punish even the leaders. The other issue, which is important. is that the court can't work if the legal system itself doesn't function well. So 
we need to implement various reforms to ensure transparency, to ensure good governance. And all of this needs to be well executed in order to improve our business climate, which will re require capital investment. We need to overhaul and consolidate our banking and financial system to be able to increase the rate of savings and to encourage innovation in the financial instruments, not only to improve the profitability of the financial systems, but also to improve the profitability of the uh, of those who have savings so that those savings become available to the investors, to development. We need to work on public-private partnerships, create a legal framework to increase the security of the safety of the investments in our country and also regional investments. And we have requested of uh, West Africa to echo us to uh, support investors in the energy sector and in the other sectors, all the regional initiatives, of course. We need investment in, en in energy, and we need a regional strategy. We need interconnection to put in common our resources. We, we need also to improve the macroeconomic climate in all of our countries. For example, our indebtedness rate. The President of the European Council came and he said, Mr. President, you have a rate of indebtedness of 23% of the GDP. And your level of debt shouldn't go beyond $70 per, per, per $70 of income. But our level of indebtedness is $30, so the lev our level of, in of indebtedness is low. Today we're roughly at 40% in order to be able to invest in infrastructure. And the issue of energy is so fundamental that to face the issue of climate change, we are now thinking with our Western allies to see how on the African continent we can uh, create an agency for energy in Africa, which we are trying to set up during the 21st COP in Paris. And what would be the use of this uh, conference, of this uh, organization? Well, it will be, uh, it will have a member of each of the 54 countries of the country aboard. The issue of the governance will be resolved. But the agency needs to be supported by the international community, each of the member countries and of the continent. 
in order to be able to put in common, to pool all the resources for energy in Africa, to finance the regional energy projects, be it public aid to, to development, private investment, or be it the contributions of the member countries, this agency should be able to work to promote renewable energies for in Africa because that's the future to protect to protect ourselves against climate change. Thank you so much uh, for a, a great snapshot of what's happening on the on the regional cooperation front around energy but also on what your government's doing in particular with the commercial courts. Um, I'd like now to turn to a, a, just a few questions from the audience. Um, I will request that you announce your name, keep it to a question, and we'll take three at a time before we, we summarize. And, and sure. So I'll take this one. We'll take this row right here, these four right here, and then we'll go with that batch. So Mima, go ahead. Uh, you got a mic right next to you. Oh, uh. Sorry. Uh, President of the Initiative for Global Development. Thank you for your comments. English make it easier for everyone. Um, speaking from business, we're business executives worldwide investing in Africa. Two points that came up, I think, most critical in investment. One, size of markets. Two, infrastructure. You hit on both of them. The size of markets question, and I'm glad MCC, I wasn't aware now, has this opportunity to go into regional programs and projects, is absolutely key. Other than Nigeria itself, there is no single country that is in itself a market. Mm -hmm. So one must really look at the regional markets. There, Mr. President, I'd really like to see a true movement of ECOWAS or say that towards a regional market, which is still more talk than reality. Yeah. On power infrastructure, very simple. I think I said earlier in a meeting with your Minister of Energy, no power, no growth. No growth, no fighting poverty. It's very simple. One must have power to be able to have industrial growth. So yep. if I could have some of your sort of further thoughts, particularly on the integration side. Thank you. Yep. Let's go. Yes. Great. Uh, thank you. Uh, my name is Abiodun. Abiodun Kuchika. I'm from Benin, as you can see my flag. <laughs> uh, I'm around in D.C. here for the last uh, three months for uh, Mandela Washington Fellowship. Mm -hmm. And I'm part of the Young African Leaders and I think I will now need to speak to my, my country language to make sure that everybody understands me. I'm here in the U.S. I've been in the U.S. for th three months in the framework of this Young African Leaders program. And personally, I'm living things. I heard the president say, and I congratulate him, um, he described everything that's done in the country for the youth. But I am living this situation, and I can tell you that what I know today is that I'm uh, proud to come from my continent, but there is a continent where there is an extraordinary demographic and economic boom, and if we don't have the instruments in the hands of the youth to take advantage of this, one day we will wake up and, and realize that there's nothing left for us. And I say this for two essential reasons, because I am a witness of what the United States do to encourage youth to promote the development of our countries, because I was uh, taken here, brought here to be trained, and that's very important. The president said 
that we need to tr uh, train uh, young people to create uh, employment. Young, a lot of people in Africa need to um, train um, those that we employ, and this costs money, so it, it affects our competitiveness. Energy, energy is very important. I'm delighted. This is why I devoted these two days to come to all the programs on energy, because as I'm speaking to you, in my workshop in Cotonou, a sewing workshop where we, where we make uniforms, everything, there is no power. There is no power at all. I want to insist on one issue. I don't want to dwell too, to be too long, but I want to insist on one issue. If nothing is done for our companies, especially the SMEs, 80% of the companies in Benin are SMEs. The president knows this. How, how can we build the, capa the capacity of these young companies in terms of training, in terms of financing, so that they be able in a few years to take part in what we have just called the public-private partnerships. If we have no uh, sustainable companies to do this, I'm not sure that we will have employment. I'm not sure that we will be able to collect, as you have said, Mr. President, the domestic resources that are so important. Thank you. Your Excellency, I'm uh, Walter Statler. Ambassador Statler, I was ambassador to Benin uh, from 1986 to 1989, and uh, I am amazed by the uh, the uh, progress, uh, substantial progress, major progress that's been made over the last 25 years, and I can see that much of it is due to your leadership. Uh, I, my question is, aside from uh, energy and uh, infrastructure, there is another area that uh, I think uh, has a superb future in uh, Benin, and that is the whole question of development of agriculture, uh, and also of fisheries, by the way, and I've tasted some of the, the best shrimp and the best fish I've ever eaten was Capitaine. Now, those can be, <laughs> those need to be organized, really, into cooperatives. Uh, what you need is the uh, expertise of companies. And by the way, there are lots of cooperatives in the United States, which most Americans really don't know, but they work extremely well. Yeah. And is this an area that you're doing anything about, aside from the other projects? Okay, we have one question behind you. Good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Kusum Kavia from Combustion Associates. Aubrey, I want to thank you very much for that shout out. Um, and Your Excellency, uh, and of course, MCC, for hearty congratulations on signing the second MCC compact. And Your Excellency, for your support of our 80 megawatt power project in the Benin Republic. It is due to your leadership that we are successful here. My question is for the Honorable Dana Hyde, mm -hmm. and that is how would you advise small businesses in the United States to participate in this second MCC compact? Thank you. Okay, so those were a great set of questions. Is on a busy schedule, so we're only going to be able to take that round today. Yeah, um, but I'll let Dana start with that sure. question. Sure. And then, uh, Excellency, we'll let you respond to. I heard that there were essentially three questions coming out for you one about the youth, what are you doing to support the youth and SMEs? The second, about agriculture and fisheries. Mm -hmm. And the third, um, a little bit more on e making ECOWAS a reality for a large market. Yes. So let me just real quickly, uh, and then we can follow up specifically. Um, one thing I wanted to clear up about how MCC implements its programs, and we've heard a lot of acronyms, uh, MCA, MCC, it sounds a bit like an alphabet soup. Uh, and I think it does, it gets to be confusing. 
a unique feature of MCC's model is that it is wholly implemented on the local level um, by the people of Benin um, and through a professional staff and a board of directors that are formed in country. And uh, that body is often called MCA Senegal, MCA Benin, MCA Tanzania. So that's what we're referring to. Um, that professional staff um, starts during compact development. It's a small core team. It is built out once the compact is signed. Um, and it will have uh, a whole process around procurement. Uh, it, is, uh, it is, we follow the IFC's procurement guidelines, uh, generally speaking. Um, and MCC itself will only have two Americans in country uh, helping and working and supporting the MCA in its implementation. Um, so we are quite lean, um, and, and I think for good reason, um, but it is challenging sometimes because of just uh, how limited our staff is. We are fortunate to have here today uh, Chris Broughton. I'll embarrass you, Chris, uh, and have you stand. Chris uh, will be our country director in Benin. And um, he is absolutely the person to follow up with about all of the specifics of getting engaged. We are doing, I will say that we are doing more outreach. Um, I was in Chicago about two months ago, meeting with businesses, meeting with the chamber. I have a domestic travel schedule, um, so we're doing more events in different cities um, and doing more outreach in the country. Uh, but then obviously we both have in-country efforts as well. So thank you, Dana. I mean, I know a lot of US companies are interested in doing business with MCC. Yes, so that getting yes. that outreach, even outside of Washington, yes, is, yes, is key. Yes, yes, yes. We are taking it on the road. Yes, the road show. The road show. And Excellency, we'd love to hear your thoughts mm -hmm. on those three questions. Um, the youth, agriculture, and how to make Benin part of a truly larger market in, in West Africa. And this will be our closing uh, moment, because I know you have to run to additional meetings today. Yes, I listened. Uh, the young gentleman from Benin, my son, I believe he is. He's about the age of my son, I would say. But uh, he does know very well that we are fighting, that we are struggling in my country. That's normal. It's normal. Uh, he wants that uh, things should go quicker, faster. What could be more normal? The government, I believe, is aware of the assets required. We are here in Washington, the capital of the world's greatest power. And the fact that we were honored to be hosted at the White House is important. And this allowed us to sign this second generation compact with a third to do it. And uh, perhaps you should have stood up and first said, Mr. President, congratulations. There was $375 million plus the $28 million that the government will be providing, plus some more. And this is a, a total of $411 million. This is money which will be a catalyst, uh, as I said, for reforms, 
for production, emphasis on renewable energy, namely lighting for all. So also energy for production. And likewise for healthcare, hospitals will also be self-sustained. Now on, we will have power electricity everywhere. And I thought that upon standing up, you would say, yes, indeed, things were different in the difficult in the past, but now your future is critical. So all hope is possible. We have created the system. We ourselves have taken measures. As I said before, December, and notwithstanding what will be done by MCC, we want to implement a power system with a power of 1,000 megawatts. Today, we have an opportunity for 200 megawatts, but we'll move up to 1,000 megawatts. So if we really want to succeed, we really need the right energy. But 200 megawatts, we get power from Nigeria and Ghana. But thanks to what we're going to be doing with MCA, We'll create an agency for energy in Africa, and we'll call it the African Energy Alliance, something like that. But we will developing domestic opportunities. We are convinced that now, before December, you should come. You should take a look at this. We are convinced that we'll be able to achieve a power of 1,000 megawatts. And this, of course, will be combined with what we are anticipating with ECOWAS. We're working with ECOWAS. So I think, and I'm convinced, that energy will be in your store. If you're a hairdresser, if you're a mason, a plumber, whatever, as I just said, between now and December or January, come to the country. You'll say, Mr. President, you have committed yourselves to provide power and energy. ECOWAS, ECOWAS, we are hoping that there will be integrated private investments. So we have great hope in ECOWAS. ECOWAS, created in 1975, has evolved. We've worked with them. We have a record. Yes, it's true. We do have a record. We've had some turmoil over the last few years with security problems. As I said, we have the problem of international terrorism, and that shook us up. But in spite of that, we haven't forgotten problems of development or economic integration. Rest assured, we have to make decisions that are highly visible, and we have to work on roads. For example, we need information intelligence that will be used in Benin. In Benin, we said, if you leave Cotonou to go to another town, in Niamey, in Niger, there's not a single control, no police roadblock. That's because we authorize people to go, but we talk about Boko Haram all over the place, but there are no security checkpoints, which means you can, uh, if there's a security checkpoint, and if they open your hood, that shouldn't last more than five minutes, and you'll be uh, continue to go, because you're a producer, a transporter, you have all of your, the names, the documents, you have your produce, the bananas, and it's okay. 
So, dear friend, do not hesitate. Things are involving. One can be hopeful. Come and invest in those types of infrastructure. The initiatives for young people, as she said. Infrastructure determine youth employment, my son. Energy, power, roads, road, railways, airports, ports, communications, telecommunications, schools, vocational technical schools, health care. The environmental challenges, there's not a single component that does not have an impact on youth employment. So we're working on that. So come to Benin, not only within the subregion, but on the continent, but even more at the worldwide level. And this begins here. So I believe, for example, this is an example that I often provide last year. If you combine the initiatives that are underway with us, MCA, there's uh, volunteers, there's various initiatives underway. We have created 14,000, 17,000 jobs in 2014. In 2015, we'll move up to 20,000 jobs. But if we want to help self-employment, we said that we have to look at the private sector. And this goes beyond the capability of the state. We must work on those five sectors that block the private sector. We must open up the energy sector to the private sector. We have created a regulatory authority. We are in the process of receiving offers in the energy sector. We do have potential. We have tenders and bids, and we are in the process of creating 3,000 youth jobs. So we are working. In addition to what the government is doing, we are working with the private sector that is putting into place a partnership which focuses on tax incentives to ensure that the private sector can support young people in the production process via tax incentives. So I hope I answered all three questions. As far as I'm concerned, we have planned to solve the energy problem. If we solve the energy problem, I believe, then the infrastructure will work come through. We at least will have road networks. We'll have interconnected road networks for the future to the subregion, to Niger, to Burkina Faso, to Mali, and to Nigeria. If we solve that problem, the issues of communications, telecommunications will follow through also. And then we'll have solved the issue of youth employment. So rest assured, it's in Washington here that I made this commitment. So thank you very much. Atlantic Council, it's been an honor and pleasure to host you today and to celebrate alongside uh, MCC the signing of the compact. So again, welcome to Washington. We wish you a very productive stay and uh, we're looking forward to the future success. Thank you again. God bless. Thank you. America. Thank you. 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 Thank you.